Hello! Welcome back to the HP Lovecraft Book Club. So, uh, we are still working our way through the stories of, of, of Lovecraft. We've just finished up The Case of Charles Dexter Ward, uh, his second novel after uh, Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath. Um, so, moving on, we, we get to this color out of space. And I said before that, like, Case of Charles Dexter Ward, color out of space, and the Dunwich Horror kind of together are my favorite Lovecraft stories, right? They're all published, all written around the same time period, anyways. Charles Dexter Ward not published till much later, obviously. All written at the same time. Um, now, The Color of Space specifically was written in March 1927, and it was published very soon after that, written, uh, published in Amazing Stories in September of 1927. So published not in um, the Weird Tales, where most of his stories were published. It's one of a couple of his major stories, which was published uh, somewhere besides Weird Tales. The other being at the Mountains of Madness. Um, so now the color out of the space is just wonderful. It's it's science fiction horror at its best. I think I, you know I'm sure other people have done better, but it's hard to think of anyone kind of nailing it as well. He kind of invents the genre I think of science fiction horror here. When you think of other stories that maybe fit the bill, like Who Goes There, uh, might be one Alien, of course, right. Um, but this one's even creepier because those stories, there's an entity. There's something physical, something you can kind of kill, right? Something that bleeds, something that you can uh, f fight against, right? But in Colorado Space, the horror is so alien, it can't even be understood by science. It's not human. It's not humanoid. It's not understandable. It doesn't have a motive. It's not, a, it's not really, it's not evil. It just is something from space it's just something that doesn't fit in our world or our universe really it's, it's i think the suggestion is this is somehow extra dimensional or somehow from beyond right it's 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 in the realm of the outer gods somehow right because it's not even of our straight universe it's it doesn't fit the laws of physics and and that that we're used to right it doesn't belong in this universe and what it does is it's just you know it's we never really know what it is, right? And and that's what adds to the creepiness. But it affects the things around us in, in horrifying ways. And we just witness, we see directly how this destroys a family. It's it's kind of tragic. People who didn't do anything wrong. I mean I mean in a lot of Lovecraft stories, you know, someone digs too deep and gets punished for it, right? Um or, you know, someone's into weird stuff and he gets punished. This family's punished just because they happen to live in this place this meteorite, meteorite came down, this meteorite landed. No, a meteorite's when it's on the ground, right? So the meteoroid, meteor, 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 the meteor landed and it became a meteorite, right? I guess the meteor, we'll call it meteorite. Um, so, yeah, that's great story, great story. Um, hopefully I have something to add to to what people have already said about this wonderful, wonderful tale. I think many people will, will say this is their favorite or one of their favorite Lovecraft stories. In fact, Lovecraft himself called this his, his favorite story, and it's easy to see why. It's, it's really wonderful. Um, now, it wasn't until I was rereading this that I noticed something, that like the, the meteorite doesn't even show up till we're over 10% into the story, right? It's, it's about 
70 minutes to to read this it's it, or the audiobook's about 70 minutes it's almost eight or nine minutes into the story so well after you know more than 10 percent into the story before we even get to the meteorite right and the story's not very long it's it's something that's I remember these stories when I read them or study them before as longer than they are. And I think that's just because his stories are so dense and so packed with stuff, right? That's, that's why it sometimes takes me longer to talk about the story than it takes for you just to read it and listen to it yourself. Um, so that whole first 10% of the story is all about the setting and it's all about forgetting. And we're right away, if, if Charles Dexter Ward, that novel sort of ends with forgetting, we pick up immediately with a theme of forgetting pretty much on the very next page if you're kind of reading an anthology as, as I do. Um, we're told of this place just west of Arkham, not far. It's like, it's actually kind of walking distance from Arkham. So it's just the Arkham backwoods, backcountry area. It's not like Dunwich. Dunwich is, you have to kind of drive a car to get to Dunwich. It's also kind of the New Massachusetts backwoods, but it's farther back into the, like the woods and and it's not quite the same place. This is just like the Arkham outskirts. So it's actually part of Arkham. Um, but it's here's how it's described. West of Arkham, the hills rise wild, and there are valleys with deep woods that no axe has ever cut. There are dark, narrow glens where the trees slope fantastically and where thin brooklets trickle without ever having caught the glint of sunlight. On the gentler slopes, there are farms, ancient and rocky, with squat, moss-colored cottages brooding eternally over old New England secrets in the lee of the great ledges, but these are all vacant now, the wide chimneys crumbling and the shingled sides bulging perilously below the low, grambled roofs. Now, this is a place that's being vacated. It's being emptied. It's, it's a forgotten place. It's kind of like Dunwich in that it's forgotten, but we, you know, Dunwich is forgotten because it's kind of inbred and backward, and it's, he kind of gets back to those themes of kind of the racial other in the Dunwich horror. Here, it's just because of this thing that happened. People leave. You know, foreigners try it and they can't come. It's kind of like the shunned house in a way. Like people maybe check it out. Usually foreigners come there, but they quickly say like, I don't want to be here. And they, they, they move on. So other people have tried it. And no one really lives there anymore except this old guy, Amy Pierce, Amy Pierce, who becomes our main source of information about this incident that happened much earlier. So it's like 30 years earlier that this happened. It's like the 1880s this happens. This is being narrated in 1927. So now the main feature here is the blasted heath, which is the site of the of the gardener home, the gardener farm. It becomes known as the blasted heath, the area around where the meteorite hit. And it's kind of a, a whole area kind of afflicted with something weird, that kind of strange. Whatever that meteorite did, it's still affecting them. In fact, this evidence is that it's still there growing, right? It, it grew, we're told in the story it grows one inch a year. Perhaps like the blasted heath grows one inch a year. It's not. It's not. An, it's not going to affect us in our life, but you can imagine in cosmic time that this is eventually going to maybe take over the whole world um, if it can't escape. But it also seems to be something that can leave the Earth and escape and has someone with some kind of consciousness. It. We're never told what it is. It's just a great mystery, um, which is why I, I think it, it fits well into amazing stories rather than. Um, I mean, it would have fit in Weird Tales, too, but it, it's really a straight-up science fiction story. Now, what we're also told, though, I guess there's a little bit of hope here, is that this might be forgotten. People have been forgetting about the Blasted Heath. They've been moving on. They've been dying. Uh, really, only this one guy, Amni Pierce, sort of remembers the details. Um, but it's being forgotten. And it's physically going to be destroyed by the arrival of, of a reservoir. So they're going to dam up some rivers, flood this whole valley, 
and hopefully forget it. But we're told I'm still not going to drink the water in Arkham if the water's coming from this place because that corruption is there. Um, there's actually a connection to water, which also, like anything else, is not fully explained. Why, you know, how water becomes a conduit for this stuff, but it does, and and that might be a more significant threat. Anyways, I mean, it doesn't really connect. I, I don't know of any other stories that mention, make reference of the color of space as part of kind of a broader Arkham universe. Oh, that reminds me, by the way. I said in a previous episode, I kind of said, I used the word fan service to talk about, you know, Lovecraft sort of name dropping some of his books or some of his other stories in, in, in others. And I was strictly, I was told very aggressively that this is not fan service. This is just world building and it's good. Uh, so I apologize. I, I didn't mean it in a bad way. I, I mean it in a good way. He, he was world building. I don't, you know, whatever. That's my apology. I'm taking it back. I'm taking it back because I, I don't want any drama on Twitter about this. So anyways, uh, back to the theme of forgetting. That's what the early part of the story is about. It's about forgetting, right? Forgetting this blasted heath and it's it's almost like the government policy like a new deal program comes in and does the job of cleaning up the blasted heath kind of predicts the new deal in a way here um we get a little bit of ancient arkham history here now this is a different story from a lot of lovecraft stories set around arkham and that those all have like histories there's like a deeper history in a lot of those stories like the witch trials are common when he goes to kerwin we've seen dunwich has this deep Legacy Innsmouth has a history, which is why as a historian, one reason I think I'm interested in Lovecraft is his stories do have that historical grounding. This one doesn't have much of that, but there is a mention of the Arkham's past and, the, and you know, the origin of the name Blasted Heath coming from Puritan origins and things like that. So there's, there's the witch legends of Arkham are still in the backdrop there, but that's not what happened here. This is a recent event that's already being forgotten uh, and covered up. So... We can't get away from this theme. We can't escape this theme of forgetting, you know. And I think Charles Dexter Ward is just such a clear, clear piece of evidence that Lovecraft's agenda was, was kind of historical forgetting. Um, as much as he is a historical writer, right, at the end of the day, he'd rather forget than remember. Um, and his fiction is always kind of poking holes in that. But as something in his mind makes him want to like, he's always opening the Necronomicon, but by the end of the story, he always wants to close it, right? Um, but he wants to tell stories, so he has to open it up. And, and that opening up leads to revelations about history. Anyways, I think that's how I'm reading Lovecraft. So, um, so where are we? Yeah, we're, we're about... We're, we're told things about the Blasted Heath. We're told about uh, some gray dust or ash that still floats in the area. We're told about how people in the Arkham suburbs kind of stay away. We're never told until a few pages later what actually is going on there. It's all the backdrop. The old house, the gardener farm, the, 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 the strange days as it's referred to, the days of the meteorite and the aftermath of it. It's all kind of being reduced to myth and being actively sort of trying to forgot, being forgotten. Quote, um, from him, there were no protests that the miles of old wood and farmland to be blotted out. This is talking about the, the flooding. Well, usually when there's flooding, people are like, don't flood my house. But, uh, 
but from him, this is Amni, this is Amni Pierce, I think he's talking about. There were no protests at the miles of old wood and farmland to be blotted out, though perhaps there would have been had not his home laid outside the bounds of the future lake. Relief was all that he showed, relief at the doom of the ancient valleys through which he had roamed all his life. They were better underwater now, better underwater since the strange days. And with this opening, his husky voice sank low while his body leaned forward and the right forefinger began to point shakily and impressively. Right. So at this point, we're, again, 10% in the story, and I won't quite go on quite so long for the rest of the story because, you know, it's... It, it it picks up pace a little bit. It's not, but that first that first seven, five, six, seven pages are so crucial. I think to Lovecraft's major themes here. This isn't a story about race. This isn't a story about you know the backwoods country folk. There's a few little hints here and there maybe that get to that. This is a, just a straight up story about like the indifference of the universe, cosmic horror, but it's also still one about forgetting and trying to cover up something that's just so horrible people don't want to remember it they can't i mean the scientists literally kind of blanch and balk at this they they, they come across you know scientists are supposed to like investigate mysteries like this you know i imagine if something like this happened in real life you know scientists would freak out would investigate every inch of of dust they'd have a big tent there and but no they they they, they try to investigate this meteorite it dissolves it disappears they, they notice the strange properties, but they're just like, whatever, right? That's kind of unbelievable, except in Lovecraft's world. In Lovecraft's world, it's totally believable that they would be like, we don't want anything to do with this. This is too messed up. So anyways, eventually the meteorite hits, and we get the, the date it hits. Um, the day the devils, you know, quote, yeah, this... No, there's no. This is what I'm getting at. There's a connection here between the meteorite and the old witch trials again. Quote: Before that time, there had been no wild legends at all since the witch trials. So this is the the reawakening of mythology in the woods around Arkham. Quote: And even then, these western woods were not half feared so much as the small island in the Miskatonic, where the devil held court besides a curious stone altar older than the Indians. End quote. Um, so it's kind of a quiet place. Nothing much happens, and then something profound happens, and kind of the devil returns to to Arkham. And that's at this point we're also introduced to the Gardener Place. This is where most of the story takes place. It's set in the Gardener Place, and this is the family that's just been chosen by fate to be the victims of this this uh, thing, this entity, this um, whatever it happens to be. Um, now, the first people on the scene are the scientists from Miskatonic University, the researchers, who these are the same people that are so intent on, on doing an expedition to the Antarctic, right? That collect, get all this money together for this expedition to the Antarctic and later an expedition to Australia. Um, but this they just give up on. Maybe because it's, it's, just, it's just some weird farmhouse. Who cares? They don't seem that interested. Even when news comes that they're dying, that the animals are dying, that these plants are getting weird. None of this really interests the scientists. They just, they try, they give an attempt to try and understand it. And when they can't figure it out, they give it up. I think they know something or they know it's unknowable. And they know science can never explain it. 
So maybe they just this give up. But like this is some kind of meta commentary on Lovecraft's view of science overall, I guess. So, anyways, um, they take it in though. They do take it in, and it's got all these weird uh, features. Like it dissolves, it gets smaller, it seems to evaporate into air. You know, regular solvents don't work. Even like uh, Aqua Regina, that's what can, apparently can dissolve gold. Even that doesn't work. It's like a metal because it's magnetic, but it doesn't have the, the texture and the features of metal. It's it's weird, and it just sort of gets smaller and smaller until it vanishes. But there's that kind of weird color, right? Now, I don't know how this works. Like a color that we can witness, that can see. Like we can only see what's in the spectrum, right? So isn't all the colors we can see or we've already been exposed to, right? Is it like between colors? It's that... It's wonderfully, it's wonderful to imagine, I guess, right? This this color that's that's we don't normally see in our world, right? Is it just at the edge of of, of like the visible stream? I don't know how you know works. I, I think it doesn't really make sense at the end of the day that there's a something outside of our normal field of vision or, or normal spectrum that we can see that we'd that we'd that. Uh, that could be experienced. Otherwise, we'd already experienced it uh, as a color, right? It would be on the spectrum, but it's not. And maybe it's some kind of weird mix, but it's there. This is just more of the outer worldliness, right? It's from another universe. So that's that's how it's sort of explained. Um, so, but anyways, at this point, they just disappear, right? Um, the the scientists, I mean, they just sort of vanish from it. And they're, they're there to get the news about the Gardner family deaths and the weird reports of animals and all that creepy stuff, but they don't show much interest in this after this. The summary of their findings, quote, conjecture was vain, and so a futile effort to find additional globules by drilling, the seekers left again, and with their new specimen, which proved, however, as baffling in the laboratory as the predecessor had been, aside from being almost plastic, having heat, magnetism, and slight luminosity, cooling slightly in powerful acids, possessing an unknown spectrum, Wasting away in the air and attacking silicoid compounds with mutual destruction as a result, it presented no identifying features whatsoever. And at the end of the test, the college scientists were forced to own that they could not place it. It was nothing of this earth but a piece of the great outside, and as such, dowered with outside properties in obedience to outside laws. Unquote. Now we presume, I presume, I think this is what I learned in physics class, that the whole universe should follow the Newtonian physics. So this is, if this is true, this is outside even our, our universe. It's somehow trans, a transdimensional, transdimensional entity. It's not just from space, because in space it's just it'll follow these rules of physics. It's really beyond our, our world. So there's a little bit of media interest, so we get a little bit of taste of media, something we'll get a lot more of, I think, in the Dunwich Horror. I think the Dunwich Horror does a much better job of talking about media interest uh we don't we get some of that maybe in the case of charles dexter ward but it's more um distant but in the dunwich horror we get the media fascination with like backwoods people um here it's fascination with the media right but they give up too when they find out there's really not much they can say or sell about this this meteorite um and Gardner just kind of goes on with his life, this farmer. He's had his five minutes of fame, and now he's just kind of going to move on and grow his crops. And they start growing in weird ways, right? And there's some wonderful stuff about the plants. Like the trees get thicker, 
and the, like the branches get odder. Like it's 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 like kind of hard to describe, but they just get weird. They're off in a way. And there's this, this discussion about skunk cabbage and how they're always kind of weird, but they're getting weirder. I, I actually had to look up skunk cabbage because uh, I'm not from New England. I lived there for a while, but I don't remember ever seeing skunk cabbage. But I must admit, it looks really weird. Um, Eastern skunk cabbage. But this is like growing around there. It's not like a crop. It's just like a weed, I think. Uh, but, and it looks weird and, and, and it's like, it looks almost like a monster. Go check it out. Look up Eastern, look up the, the skunk cabbage on Wikipedia and you'll believe me. And, you know, Lovecraft sort of gets at how like, yeah, these are getting weird, but they're always sort of weird, so we don't quite know what to make of it. There's always something just a little bit off, right, with the plants. And his plants get bigger, and at first he's like, wow, I'm going to have a good harvest. But then he tastes them, and they taste off, but not in a way that's describable. It's just, but you can't sell it, right? You're just, like, disgusted by the taste of it. And I don't know if you ever had this experience, like, in passing, where you eat something, and it just doesn't taste right to you. You know, other people say it tastes fine, but it doesn't taste right to you. It's like somehow your brain and your taste buds have a misfire and the, the taste is off, right? Uh, it happens like occasionally, but at least to me, maybe I'm a weird weirdo that this has happened, but I think it may be a common experience. Um, but here it's just it's just off in ways they can't descri- they can't describe. There starts to be changes in the family too, like there's like they're getting a little sluggish. Um, the, there's new animal, like sluggish and weird and, you know, they quieter, they're more kind of, you know, they're, they're not the same. There's some change internally in these people, in the Gardner family, new animals kind of creep into the area, but these animals have different features. Like this is described so well. It's, it's really some of his best writing, um, for just straight up creepiness. Um, and actually kind of the feeling of real horror. Like he talks about the rabbits and how they jump too far. Like their steps are just a little bit too big. Or they're one of my favorites, so scary. Uh, quote, in February, the McGregor boys from Meadow Hill were out shooting woodchucks not far from the Gardner place, bagged a very peculiar specimen. The proportions of his body seemed slightly altered in a queer way impossible to describe, while its face was taken on an expression which no one had ever saw in a woodchuck before. The boys were so generally frightened that they threw the thing away at once so that only their grotesque tale of it ever reached the people of the countryside. Wonderful. I mean, that is really, really scary to me anyways. This idea of a, of a, of a woodchuck giving some kind of outworldly facial expression. Is it almost human? You know, does it show some knowledge of something? There's something going on with the animals here. I'm trying to think of other books that do this. I think Dreamcatcher by Stephen King. It's not one of his most loved works, but it's got that's got some great moments of just kind of body humor and physical weirdness uh, and just horrible things happening to people for no reason, just randomness. Uh, just, just random luck, right? Random chance. Weird things happen to people. I kind of like that novel. I'm, not, I'm one of the few people who do, doesn't hate it. I think it's it holds up. But anyways, that's Dreamcatcher. We're talking about Color Out of Space. Um, so anyways, to kind of speed up my talking here, um, with this, you know, Nahum, Nahum Gardner, the, 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 
the man of the household, he is forced to kind of move his farm to some other acreage, so just farther away from the, the well. You can still sort of make a living, but he's getting less. He cares less about that. The animals get sick and start dying. Um, there starts being rumors about it. People start avoiding it. And I love this element, too, in this Lovecraft story where you have, as we talked about early in the story, it's like this creation of a myth. That's part of what he's doing. Here. He's trying to create a myth. Uh, and showing the creation of a myth and then the forgetting of it. They immediately try an effort to kind of suppress that. But where does this come from? Well, it's not coming from the scientists. The scientists did their report and went to sleep. Uh, who's really carrying on the story here? It's the, it's bottom up. Quote, April brought a kind of madness to the country folk and began that disuse of the road past Nahum's house, which led to his ultimate abandonment. It was the vegetation. All the orchard trees blossomed forth a strange color. And through the stony soil of the yard and adjacent posturing, there sprang up a bizarre growth which only a botanist could connect with the proper flora of the region. End quote. So a little bit of science there, but it's just this is what the botanist could do. It's like this is as far as the scientists could understand it. But the main point here is that it's the country folk, it's the neighbors who start to say, start to build up the walls and start to work on forgetting this place early on. I mean, they're the first to do that, even before the real horrible things start to happen. Travelers begin to observe the one, few travelers who still go to the gardener house. Observe how strange the family's getting. They kind of get dull, and th there's like this weird moment. Like um, Pierce still visits A.M. Pierce, the, basically the narrator of the story, or the second place narrator. This is all he's getting. The, our narrator's getting all this story from from Pierce. I think I don't think I mentioned that, but he goes to visit him to get to interview him, and he, he tells the story. So we're getting the kind of second hand, but you know he's kind of the secondary narrator in the back of it all. And he says, like even he stops going to see Gardner very often because he's kind of creeped up by the place. But when he goes, it's like they're drinking this water from the well, and Gardner knows like the water's corrupted somehow, but they keep drinking it with kind of indifference. So creepy. Um, I wonder if the movie does a good job of this. Someone tell me. Someone out there tell me. Is the movie worth watching? The Nicolas Cage movie. Um, where can I get it? And, and yeah, should I watch it? I will if, if enough people say I should watch it. Now, uh, they start to go mad, obviously. Now, Miss Gardner goes like the most mad. And they end up blocking her in the attic. Um, and then the kids start to die. But such creepy stuff here about like with the animals... The boy's drinking the water, the wife locked in the kitchen, moaning and making sounds. This kind of overall sickness that's corrupting sort of everything. The dogs and cats dying or leaving or just fleeing the neighborhood. Uh, then the kids start to, die, start to die. I think one of the kids died. You don't, the names aren't important, but one of the kids dies first. And he's still able to go to a funeral. He's still able to be public about that. This is before things get really, really bad. But really quickly... Uh, the family begins to decline. And it's just, it's just, what's horrifying about this is it's, they're not doing anything wrong. They were just farmers just doing their job. And this horrible thing happens to them. It's really tragic. It's maybe his most tragic story in this way because other people seem to get what's coming to them, you know, and, you know to some degree. They, they play around a little bit in what they shouldn't. But, but these people, they're the most innocent, I think, of any Lovecraft characters. Except maybe someone who just sort of inherited from his family. But even those people tend to make the mistake of digging into their parents' family history. He writes, 
It must all be a judgment of some sort, though he could not fancy what for, since he had always walked uprightly in the Lord's way so far as he knew. I mean, just this idea of like pleading to God at a time like this, like, you know, God's left the building <laughs> at this point. This thing's not even from the universe created by the God that you know. So uh, as we get to the climax of the story, um, it actually has a pretty long climax. It's kind of dragged out at the end. Uh, a lot of the good stuff is packed up in the first half of the story. But Amni Pierce goes to visit him another time, and Nahum Gardner's like long gone. You know, he's still alive, but he's just kind of clinging to life on the couch. Um, kind of reminded of another Stephen King story, the, uh, the one with the beer, Gray Matter, where you kind of see this guy slowly changing and becoming less and less human, but he's still like talking and still sitting there and like becomes part of the couch. Uh, that, that's an interesting story. But that's what's kind of happening to him. He's just sort of becoming part of, of the architecture, part of the, you know, more sluggish, less human, but still sort of alive and clinging to life. It's really creepy and so when we see the wife it's like the most horrifying because he goes up to see the wife he goes up to the attic opens the attic door and she's not dead but she's like ash she's like a kind of uh turn turned into basically like a, a form of a body but made out of ash and still sort of alive i think um, let's find the passage well, to be, to be truth, he's kind of cagey about how he writes this scene. So, um, quote, strange colors danced before his eyes and had not a present horror numbed him, he would have thought of the globular and the meteor that the geologist's hammer had shattered and of the morbid vegetation which had spread in the spring. As it was, he thought only, only of the blasphemous monstrosity which confronted him and which all too clearly had shared the nameless fate of young Thaddeus and the livestock. But the terrible thing about this horror was that it very slowly and perceptibly moved as it continued to crumble. Yeah, that's where I got this idea that she's still alive. She's still moving, but she's kind of crumbling into ash. And it seems that he kind of pokes her and dissolves her, like speeds up her death. And the reason why is later on in the story, just one page later, he's holding a heavy stick. And is this what he used to like put the wife out of his misery? I don't know. But anyways, he does this, and this is like a traumatic moment for him. This is like a, a will-it moment where he, someone, a friend is forced to do what has to be done. Um, but he's less informed than will I mean, he's just in the dark, as much in the dark as anyone else. He's just, you know, kind of helpless to do anything. Willett was at least able to do something. Uh, he's not able to. Um, then we get the kind of the final words of Nathan where he goes on with this rambling about the plants and the death of the family and, and the kids. There's like a couple, like one of the kids jumps in the well and dies there. Uh, Zonas never came back from the well. He like, literally jumped in the well. Can't get away. Draws you. You know, something's coming, but ain't no use. I seen it time and age and since Zenas was took. You know, it's really, he he's, knows, he seems to have some understanding just from living in this, but He's also kind of helpless. Um, and that's the end of the Gardner family. He dies soon after this. And that's the end of the Gardner family. And he has to go, Pierce has to go back and tell people about this. I mean, he can't keep it that much hidden. And, you know, the laboratory gets a little bit interested again. So, like, the scientists come back and, and to kind of reinvestigate and 
you know, investigate the death of the scenes. Look at this dust. Find out what it is. They go to the well to look for this body of this boy, and they actually stick like a stick down in the well, and it's like the bottom's all not like a hard like a well should be at the bottom. It's like all sluggish. Um, the bodies of two of the kids are in there. Merwin and Zenus are there. There's kind of a weird, creepy, creepy, crawly, almost living muck on the bottom of the well. And it seems he was somehow following this color in there, being chased, being drawn in by this. Um, and, you know, at this point, it's like lock off this area, fence it off. The local people want nothing to do with Gardner anymore. And that's how we get to where we are at the beginning of the story, where... Amni Pierce is like the only person still hanging around, right? But we still have another scene where these investigators who are kind of clean, looking at the scene, kind of cleaning things up, finding out what's going on. They're staying in the Nahum house when it seems like the the color returns to space. But we get this kind of setup for this. It, it kind of drags on a little bit, but after how fast paced much of the story is, dense, but but you, it, it's a quick read. It kind of drags a little bit at the end, but it's okay. It's, it's a great scene. Like even where it's a completely still day and the trees start moving, and then you see out of the well this thing kind of throw up into the into the sky, like this beam of light um, into the sky, um, connecting it once, in, like clearly connecting whatever's happening here and whatever the color of space is to the water in some way. But it returns to space. And then um, they have to go back to Arkham. Um, but it seems something remains behind. That, that's kind of where Lovecraft leaves us into the story is this warning that there is something there. There's something, some remnant of this. Quote, it was just a color, but not any color of our earth or heavens. And because Amity recognized that color and knew that this last faint remnant must still lurk down there in the well, he has never been quite right since. Amity would never go near the place again. There's 44 years now since the horror happened. He's ever been out there and we'll be glad when the new reservoir blots it out. So we're returned back to where we started, being told that people are looking forward to the final abolition of this. Um, so the story sort of kind of repeats some of the opening themes, like the disinterest of the intellectuals, the growing kind of uh, or anxiety of the rule tales. I, I mean, I love how Lovecraft deals with these rule vulgar popular tales right they're they're warning but there's a curiosity in the fact that the tales persist right it's, it's kind of how we get at these vernacular traditions they're both um alive and and kind of migrating through the the, the great vine telegraph but at the same time there's always kind of this warning and and, and they get sort of triggered by things it's a bit uh, Janice faced this vernacular traditions when a way the elite traditions that Lovecraft describes aren't nearly as, as Janice faced it seems um, something about the backwater here I think Lovecraft's really onto something I gotta think about it more and maybe write some more about this until I can kind of nail it down what I'm trying to say about this um, but yeah I think the story ends with this warning about the survival of the blight how it seems to be growing, um, but it's beyond universe. Like, and we end knowing nothing more about this thing than we began to know about it. We know it's we're just as much in the dark. Um, 
so that's it. That's the color of space. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful story. One of his best. It's uh, in terms of like themes. I think it's so much. It's so great on the theme of forgetting. It's really strong on a few other themes too, like the intellectuals, vernacular traditions, and just it's his best straight up cosmic horror tale. I mean, it's brutal in your face cosmic horror. Like this world. And what's beyond it is totally indifferent to you. And and it's not a monster. It's not a Cthulhu creature. It's not a god who's trying to, you know, get you to raise its baby. It's just it's just this meteorite. It's just this. It's just something, it, it, you know, something that's totally banal, right? Just a rock, right? But because it's from the outside, it, it wreaks havoc. Maybe even potentially destroying our entire world. We'll see what happens when the water... <laughs> floods this does the water get corrupted uh, the narrator says he's never going to drink Arkham tap water um, after this or will it succeed in covering it up will it just sort of dissipate it's not clear well, we can't know anything about it right anyone who may, may be able to learn something about it just has bailed um, we forget these rural areas at our own peril it seems we forget Innsmouth, we forget Dunwich, we forget these back, the glass of teeth at our own peril. Right? I think that's a, certainly a Lovecraftian theme. And it's politically significant too, right? Uh, we, you know, it's so easy to, to focus on the 1% and forget the rest. And even, you know, the middle class, it's easy to forget the, those areas. But they come back to bite you. And they'll, they'll do something crazy, like they'll vote for a Trump or they'll... Or, or they'll, you know, suddenly fight a class war that you, you didn't expect. It's don't forget them, right? And that, that's true for like both sides of the political spectrum. I think they, you know, they could be allies, but they've been forgotten, right? So so much of like the leftist politics in my country are, you know, kind of ignore these people who could be great class allies. But anyways, it's uh, it's a pitiful state of affairs we're in in the U.S. politically. Now, Lovecraft's a conservative, but I think he realized the power of, of the forgotten. And, and that's partially why he can't help but want to always close the book, uh, you know, after every story, which I just did. Close the book. Uh, I'll be back next time with uh, probably the first of all, be two episodes on the Dunwich Horror. So I'm looking at about two, maybe 45 minute episodes covering the Dunwich Horror. Um, maybe a little bit shorter, maybe... Maybe a couple half-hour episodes. We'll see how it goes. But I, I am going to do two episodes about the Dunwich Horror. Then we'll do uh, the very old folk, the Roman Dream story. And then move on to some of the revisions. Um, kind of Just kind of working our way through the fiction uh, that he wrote before 1930. So we got a lot of stories coming up to look at, uh, even though we're kind of getting slowly to the, to the, to the end of this, this series of, of, of stories. But anyways, let me know what you think of The Color of Space. I presume you like it, as I do. Everyone should. Um, but let me know what you think. Send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com or send me a tweet. Um, I'll be love to hear from you and I'll, I'll respond. Even if you have criticisms of what I say, I will, I'll, I'll take them and repent if necessary, as I did earlier in this episode. So that's it. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thank you.